0: Welcome to the Wake and Take podcast. On today's show, we have a huge interview with Kian Fahey, all the way from Ireland. He's a football genius. He worked for Bleacher Report, ESPN, The Guardian, and Football Outsiders. Excellent interview with him. And then we wrap the show with our picks for week 14. Hit it, Zachary.
1: House in New Orleans, they call the rising sun, and it's been a ruin of many a poor boy. And guy I know I've won.
2: Welcome to the show. We now welcome on football analyst, former ESPN contributor, and notorious Twitter blocker, Kean and Ian, welcome to the show. To kick things off, uh, ask asked a question a lot of uh, our American listeners may be asking. Uh, how did an Irishman like yourself get into American football?
3: Uh, like most Irish people, I have a pretty big family, and a couple of my uncles moved to America, a couple moved to England, a couple moved all over the world, to be honest. But they used to come home when I was a kid and teach me and tell me about all the stuff that they used to have. and all the things they used to do in the country they were in. And one of the ones that always stood out was American football. So when I was a kid then, eight, nine, ten years of age, you get the Christmas games and you get to stay up late watching them. And there was a game of Brett Favre against the Vikings. He threw a last-second touchdown. And I was kind of hooked on it since then, since there. And then I just – I became a sports writer over here, a uh, standard normal sports writer over here. And I just started writing about football a little bit. And it kind of it kind of took its own journey, really. I didn't really – push it that way it just it just happened people started reading it and people started following it so i stuck with it
2: yeah there you go i i I gotta get in quick with the uh the game against the vikings was that the uh was that the uh overtime game that ended with the i forget the receiver's name um but the catch that bounced off uh i think it was was donald driver or donald driver
3: Okay, it might have been so I would have been around eight or nine or ten. So this is 2000, 2001, one, oh, okay. two thousand two. Around that time, yeah, that's
0: okay. that, that. sounds about perfect, though. That your your NFL fandom started at the at the expense of the Minnesota Vikings. That's that's <laughs> like perfect for for the story of the franchise. I mean, it, it, it. We've had a lot of heartbreak here in Minnesota, and we'll get into some of that in a little bit here. But uh, back to kind of your background and, and when you first started writing and kind of talking about football. Was your audience mostly American or was it more a European audience at that time?
3: Oh God, I don't know. Um, I, so like, I guess I started, like, I, I, was, I came out of college. I was writing for an Irish American website and I was covering the Patriots, the Celtics, the uh, Celtic football team in Scotland as well. And basically anything that was Irish American related. So I started off with that and then I was looking for work and looking for different things to do. And I ended up working at Bleacher Report. So I was uh, an editing intern originally. And I didn't really enjoy editing, so I stopped doing that after a month or so. And then I was doing, uh, but, but they gave me the opportunity to become a featured columnist back then when you weren't getting paid for anything and you were just happy to let someone let you write anything anywhere. So I did that for a couple of months and then I got offered a job there. So that it kind of, I, my audience, I guess, built through Bleacher Report. So it would have been primarily primarily American. And there were a lot of occasions over the years where people had read my work and followed me on Twitter or whatever or come across my work and then they heard me speak on something and they were kind of t- t- back, taken aback, back shocked that I was speaking with this accent and it, it, I guess I don't know if it hurt me or helped me but I think a lot of people appreciated not knowing that I was Irish and then finding out that I was Irish and there was kind of a novelty uh effect to it and then once I kind of got to ESPN the accent became a like a novelty again and that kind of helped push or, or it helped make people want you on their shows and stuff so I guess I've kind of benefited from being Irish but it's also I think primarily my audience would be American I, like I, I have a bigger Irish audience now because I started working more in our Irish companies over the last five or six years but still I would guess it's probably still 80 percent 85 percent American yeah that, that makes about
2: sense and w- was it hard gaining credibility? with uh with us americans i have to imagine you had plenty of people that you know thought what does this guy know they, they play a different kind of football where he's
3: from you're assuming i have credibility no um <laughs> I, I, I i i've never really cared about it i know like the for my own personal history where it was if people are going to give you credibility they're going to give you credibility if they're not then they'll then that's them like there's nothing you can do about it for me like, I remember identifying relatively early on that some of the smartest people in the industry were guys like Dan Lebeder and Bomani Jones. And publicly and privately, they would say to me, they would come to me and ask me about different things and ask me about what my opinion was and stuff. And I ended up doing their shows. And when I did Dan's show, Bomani actually said to me that he was mad that Dan got to me before he could. So like, <laughs> you know, Once I had people like that telling me, yeah, your work makes sense to me and this I understand this, then you have other people who are actually in the NFL who would talk to you and say, hey, yeah, I, get, I get what you're seeing here. I see the same thing. So you kind of, that's the kind of stuff you cared about. I'd never really, when you, when you get like beat writers and, and fan writers and stuff like that who are giving out to you and saying you've no credibility because you're Irish or you've no credibility because you think this or a certain thing. Like at the moment, it's like Buffalo Bills fans hate me right now and say, oh, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about because of Josh Allen. Before them, it was Eagles fans. Before them, it was Washington fans. So it, it just kind of shifts all the time, depending on who you're talking about and who you're criticizing. So you're, you're you're fighting a losing battle. If you're concerned about your credibility, just do the work, put the work in. And once you've done the work, you'll have all the confidence in the world and it won't matter to you what other people are saying to you.
2: Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's well said. And, uh, that's how I was uh, introduced to you was through the, uh, the Dan Levitard show. And, um, you know, they have the, uh, have the support of people like him. And you you mentioned Bomani Jones and um, I mean, those are, uh, those are good people to have a, have on your side. So uh, (laughs) uh, I'm sure that makes, uh, make things a lot easier too. Uh, You touch a little bit about um, some of the other egghead analysis that might disagree with your, uh, with your takes, your opinions. Uh, How do you think your analysis is different uh, from some of the other voices out there?
3: Well, actually, one of the things Bomani said to me relatively early on that always stuck with me was, he said, I didn't have any of the stuff that people grew up with when it came to quarterbacks. I didn't really understand them at the time, but I kind of later figured out he was talking about the idea of quarterback wins and the idea of the quarterback being so much larger than the rest of the team. And if you grow up in Europe and if you grow up with European sports, they're all very fluid. And there's no real focus on stats or no real care for stats. It's growing now. It's becoming more analytics is kind of taking over the whole world. So it's becoming more of a factor now. But if you grew up with this more fluid sport, with these sports where the analysis is not really focused on stats and it's not really focused on giving the most controversial opinion, you have this very different type of analysis where you're just looking at what's happening on the field and you're kind of breaking down this is why this happened, this is why that happened. And I'm always very, very concerned with the why, I'm very concerned with the specifics of what's happening rather than the end results. So, like, one of the things that's always happened with me is if a quarterback throws, uh, so, if, if the defense shows man coverage before the snap and they blitz, and then the quarterback beats, this, beats the blitz and hits that slant in a perfect inside, hits him inside, perfect throw, great throw. And I say to you, that ball, that happens at the 22 yard line on his own, in his own side of the field, and it gains four or five yards. But the actual throw is a perfect throw to a slant. Now I say to you, we, we're doing exactly the same thing. The defense blitzes again. It's one on one coverage on the outside. It's a slant. What happens at the two yard line and ends up in the end zone? The kind of natural thing there is, the touchdown play is far more impressive and far better than the other player. And to me, the two players are the exact same thing. One just happened to end up in the end zone. Maybe that's not the best example because generally throwing the ball that close to the end zone is more is difficult because the safeties are coming down. There's less space to cover in the backfield, but you get the idea of what I'm talking about. The specific action of what the quarterback did is what really matters to me, opposed to what was the final gain. Like I just wrote about Ben Roethlisberger today, his touchdown to James Washington on the, on Monday night was a Monday. Even like there's so many games this week, I'm confused when with what game happened. But on Monday, I think it was. His touch under James Washington is a seven yard or a seven yard curl route where he just hits him underneath and Washington makes two players miss and goes to the hole to the end zone. He's got a fifty yard touchdown to there. To me, that's not a hugely impressive play. It's not a hugely uh it's not a play that really props Rottensburger up, it's a play that props Washington up. And I know we can talk about that in terms of Yak and separating Yak from air yards and all that kind of nonsense that gets a bit convoluted and quite boring, to be honest. But it's just the idea of isolating specifically what the quarterback is doing and not giving him the credit, or the blame for what's happening around them.
2: Yeah, and I, I think uh, that last example hits on a, a take that I've had for the past, uh, I don't know, year or so. And um, and maybe you'll understand because, um, you know, you, you grew up with, with European sports like soccer. Um, but I've always thought that there should be a, um, a touchdown pass and a touchdown assist for a quarterback. So, like the example you just mentioned with Ben Roethlisberger. He shouldn't get credit for a touchdown pass there. He should get a touchdown assist in the stat book. Um, Or, you know, years past, Kirk Cousins throwing all those uh, short little bubble screens and whatnot. You know, if Dalvin Cook runs at 60 yards for a touchdown, just as you said, he shouldn't be the one getting the credit for a touchdown. Dalvin Cook should be getting... I feel I feel like, I feel like the here.
3: Minnesota I feel like the Minnesota is coming out new here where you're trying to go hockey assist though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is not backed by the whole podcast, by the way. This is just an Andy thing. That's just <laughs> I do not want to be associated with that take. Um, but yeah, I think you bring up some great points and it kind of reminds me almost of pro Football focus. What do you think about I mean we've interviewed some guy or one guy that works for pro Football focus and the way they break down. Stats, what is your thoughts on on them and how they break it down? Well, that's, I, I don't follow the work, so I can't really say specifically what they're doing. I don't know what their
3: process is. But back in the day, four or five or six years ago, when they were starting up when they were a much smaller company, they used to provide all the information that they had and all the information they were charting. And that's the kind of thing you really want. So, like, you want to be seeing the transparency of what they're thinking and what they're looking at. I tend to not care about the idea of Madden grades or the idea of just grading and ranking players. But I understand where they do that. That's far more attractive, more appealing to a wider audience. You'll make a lot more money doing that kind of a thing as well. So I think the, the concept of what you're doing there, it's similar to what football outsiders does, where they're trying to figure out and looking past the overall box score. and it's a much better way of thinking about football. It's a much better way of, uh, a much better way of analyzing football. The execution of it is going to be different from person to person and, and from company to company. Like ESPN has their own version of these things as well. So it, it's all going to be come down to who kind of aligns with your preference and who values what you value. Like one of the uh, examples I've always used years and years ago, a week one game between the Patriots and the Steelers, where Ben Roethlisberger threw a pass on the left side. I'm talking about Ben Roethlisberger a lot. But Ben Roethlisberger threw a pass on the left sideline and Darius Hayward Bay catches the ball in the pylon, next to the pylon. And he's wide open. There's nobody near him. And he catches the ball in the end zone, holds onto it, goes to the ground. Easy. Touchdown except it's not a touchdown because Darius Hayward Bay's foot is out of bounds and there's no reason for his foot to be out of bounds. So when he talks about that play, after the game, people said, oh, his receivers didn't drop any passes or Darius Hayward Bay hasn't mm-hmm. had a drop all season. And to me, it's like Darius Hayward Bay turned an accurate touchdown pass into an incompletion. That's what a drop should be. It does not matter if the ball bounced off him or not. He put his feet out of bounds and his feet shouldn't have gone out of bounds. So if you're measuring stuff like this, I think you have to look at the practicality of it and not really care too much about the aesthetic of what it is. So when I measure, like I have a, when I do my own charting on quarterbacks, so I have things called failed receptions, which accounts for that. And I have creative receptions, which is the receiver creating a reception on an inaccurate pass. So when he makes a spectacular adjustment, like when DeAndre Hopkins catches that Hail Mary, like I'm not going to say that's an accurate pass from Kyler Murray because it's a ball thrown up into the air in, in hope. So you can't really call it an accurate pass. So I think these are the things we need to be looking at. These are the little margins in between the stats that are measured, the more traditional stats. And once we can account for them, we'll have a much better idea of who's doing what and who's doing what well. But the difficulty of doing that in football, opposed to other sports, is one, you've got a very short season, so small samples all the time. And two, every single piece on the field is connected to each other in a different way. So you have to understand the scheme impact. You have to understand the individual player impact. You have to understand the defensive player impact. You have to understand how the offensive line is impacting the quarterback and how the quarterback is impacting the offensive line with his movement. All these things are factored into each other. So at the end of the day, I kind of come back to the idea that you can't really do any of this with just the analytics and just the numbers of it. You have to be able to sit down and say, hey, this is why this worked and this is why this didn't work. You see the way this quarterback moved in response to his offensive line being beaten on his left. He did that perfectly. If we go to this other quarterback, he doesn't have to do that because his offensive line doesn't break down that way. So there are so many different details. Like I, I think when analytics and stuff falls down is when they try and sell you just one number. When I have analytics, I want there to be a hundred different numbers that I can use all together to paint a full picture rather than just having one thing that I can fit in a tweet that will go viral. Right.
2: Yeah, and um, you know, speaking of Twitter, I think, at least personally, um, what I love most about your analysis is uh, your Twitter threads where you use GIFs. And instead of some people I see on Twitter who just call out individual plays from individual players in, in certain games, uh, some of your threads are really good kind of breaking down Uh, different tendencies, uh, behaviors of of different players, different teams, different coaches. Um, So um, for all you out there, check them out on Twitter. Uh, at Kian AF, but uh, he's a uh, he's not going to be on Twitter for long though.
3: <laughs> uh, is 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 the, the word on the street? The best the best one to send you to would be the QB data mine, which is an off-season project mm-hmm. that I do that will be putting up all those that information and all that charting. But I, you mentioned that like the reason I used to do those threads and do those threads in such detail was come back going back to what you were talking about previously was the credibility idea. Like because if someone said to me, "Hey, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about this," and I can then go check that and see if I was in fact wrong about it, or if I was right about it, and then create a trade-off of that. So it's a great way to get ideas. It's a great way to expand on your ideas. It's a great way to learn more and more about the sport while you're doing it because it's fun to do as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let's get into a little bit of the NFL, more talking Vikings-wise at least here. Uh, So you've been critical of Kirk Cousins, uh, but after the Week 2 loss to the Colts, you wrote an article saying that Kirk wasn't uh, the only problem. There was a lot of problems. He wasn't the only one. He was one of the problems. Uh, But in your mind, what are some of the biggest issues the Vikings face right now, and what changes do they need to make?
3: Oh, God. Week two feels like forever ago, doesn't it? I I remember that game. It was a lot of drops. It was a lot of mess. It was a lot of blown assignments and stuff like that. I actually don't think the offense has been particularly bad because, like, Justin Jefferson, he's not Stefan Diggs. Like, Stephon Diggs right now, this season, might be the best receiver in the league this specific year. He's been outstanding. That doesn't mean he is the best receiver in the league, but this specific year he's been outstanding. Jefferson has taken off over, I think the first six or seven weeks, I might have those numbers wrong, but I think over the first six or seven weeks, he kind of had one or two games where it was like, oh yeah, he looks pretty good. And now over, re- over the last couple of months, it's like he's rivaling Thielen. And rivaling Thielen is an incredible feat because the two together work perfectly off of each other. My biggest issue with them lately has been Irv Smith not being involved enough. I know he's been injured and absent for the third, maybe two games, but he prior to being injured, they've been using him as a blocker primarily which doesn't make sense for what his skill set is. And Kyle Rudolph is still running out there, and he's becoming a little bit like Jason Witten now, where he doesn't have that ability to mm-hmm. expand the field and, and make run <laughs> across the field properly anymore, vertical routes anymore, which is limiting the offense a little bit. But then, And then you actually have to look at the, the offensive line issues there, which are kind of a constant, because there's just not that much talent there. But I think the offensive line has been generally better than it has been in recent years prior to this year. And then you've got to come back to Cousins. And to me, I'm, I've just washed my hands with Cousins because no matter how many stats he's going to put up in the game or how many well he's going to do, you know you can't rely on him to play well for four quarters against a good team and play well enough for you to consistently win throughout the playoffs. And it, The thing with Cousins is, like what the play that comes to my mind all the time with him is he has a, a 30 or 40-yard completion, and he's the only quarterback I think I've ever seen who has a bad 40-yard completion. And, in, and not, not a bad throw, but an inefficient 40-yard completion because I think it was a flea flicker or it was an extremely hard play fake where the whole defense came down and Cousins had three receivers running wide open. And one was running wide open right through the middle with nobody covering him. One was out on the right sideline with a defense, defender about 15 yards away who could come up and tackle him. And he looked right past the guy right in the middle who was wide open and threw it to the guy on the outside. And the guy on the outside got 40 yards, but the guy on the inside would have got 70 yards and a touchdown. And that's always summed up Kirk Cousins for me. He will always take just wrong enough choice for you to not win the game. And when you have uh, an offense stacked as the Vikings had last year or the year before, you can win something with that. When you have this year's offense with this year's defense, uh, it's not happening. Because you look at that secondary, and that LaVisca Chanel touchdown just sums it up. that bounces off a defender, and Harrison Smith's turning around looking at his cornerback wondering how the hell that happened. And you, you look at that touchdown, and that's kind of summed up their season where – They've given the cornerbacks as much opportunities as they can and they just haven't stepped up. And with Eric Hendricks, or I'm sorry, with Anthony Barr out, Eric Hendricks is being asked to do too much on, the, on his own side. and There's just too much stress there. The pass rushes didn't cover for obviously. Yankin Dockway didn't work out. And he's gone. So I, I, the Vikings, I think, just don't have enough talent this year to go far in the playoffs, even if they make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, so that was my next question. How do you think they finish the next four? They go Bucks, Bears, Saints, and Lions. They probably need three of those games at least to get in. Uh, so you think? Do you think they're going to have a chance to get in? That's a rough schedule. That like you, those aren't necessarily the teams you want.
3: So it's them. It's between them and the Cardinals. So the Cardinals have a really easy schedule, but the Cardinals have also been beating themselves on, on their own. Like the only game they've won since their bye was the Bills game, or was a winner as well. Either way, they like Philip Kingsbury does the same thing every week. He doesn't send DeAndre Hopkins deep. He calls field goals instead of trying to go for touchdowns is offense is extremely conservative and that's costing them. So all the Vikings have to do really is win more games than the Cardinals win. So I think it's definitely possible. Like if they go two and two, they'll be in with a great shout because the Cardinals will beat themselves. But whether they do that now is another thing. So I, I, I'm not sure I would bet on them, but my other option is betting on the Cardinals. So maybe I'd have to bet on them.
2: <laughs> um, transitioning now into the, the larger NFL, um, you're, I guess at least I think your your specialty or, or what I know you most for is um, is analyzing quarterbacks. You do watch every snap uh, throughout the year and, and during the offseason. So right now, 13 weeks into the season, who is the best quarterback in the league um, and why is it Aaron Rodgers?
3: <laughs> God hates Minnesota. <laughs> um, I think Rodgers' level of consistency this year has been higher than anyone else's. I think you've seen well. you saw in was a week one when he played the Vikings in, in Minnesota, and it was just insane. Like everything Vikings did, it didn't matter. Rogers just had, had the answer for it. And his accuracy has been stupendously good. Like Marcus valdez Scantling is still dropping every other pass that's thrown his way, and no one cares because no one notices because he just keeps making those plays. And Devontae Adams is back to dropping loads of passes as well, and no one has noticed because Rogers' consistency is just right there. Like if you're talking pure talent... Mahomes might be ahead of Rodgers at this point but Mahomes has not been sharp consistently throughout the year he's turned it on when he needs to and that means the Chiefs win games because the level he's at is just insanely high and he's played some games that have just been outstanding but on a week-to-week basis I think it's got to be Rodgers the other people you'd talk about would be Russell Wilson but he's dropped off massively after a relatively hot start early on and that's kind of been the, the, the issue with Wilson for me over his career he'll end up taking too many sacks he'll end up missing too many opportunities, and that will put him in a position to lose against the Giants at home, which in a game he should never have lost, which is largely on uh, Wilson's shoulders. Uh, who about, is there anyone else really outside of those three? And probably, like, Maybe you'll talk about Josh Allen, but I've charted Josh Allen this year, and he's throwing an interceptable pass under one every 20 attempts, which is a hugely problematic number. I think he's benefiting massively from scheme and from outstanding offensive line play as well as dig, so I'm not really going to get too excited about him. Uh that's the four really isn't it I don't think there's anyone else who would be put into that group maybe um maybe give us a a
2: quick uh bit about Ben Roethlisberger and the uh I mean, I think it's a jump this year but he's kind of changed the way that he's played as a quarterback from the rest of his career this year
3: he has and like so the big stat that was being talked about with Roethlisberger right now is he hasn't been sacked in like 235 dropbacks or whatever the number is he hasn't been sacked in about eight game, or seven six or seven games which Sounds really impressive, and it sounds like oh, that's a really efficient offense. But he's also averaging like less than six yards an attempt per game, and he's getting his passes tipped all the time because he's literally catching the ball and releasing it straight away. The offense is extremely limited there. Like he played against Alex Smith, and Alex Smith didn't look like he was being overly cautious because Alex Smith was playing against Roethlisberger, who was doing exactly the same thing as him. It was two quarterbacks checking the ball down over and over and over and over again, and eventually Montez Sweat made the play that won the game, and he made that play. In one of, I think it was three tipped passes he had. They had five in total on Roethlisberger because he knew exactly when the ball was coming out. And the problem for the Cedars is Roethlisberger can no longer throw the ball outside the numbers, and he can no longer throw the ball deep. So they're playing in this box. Uh Juju Smith Schuster is averaging eight yards per reception because he's only catching passes short and underneath. He averaged four yards per reception against the uh, against Washington, and he got two screens as well in that game that went nowhere because the defense is just crowding around him. Like Smith Schuster. He's an outstanding intermediate route runner. He's an outstanding deep trap, but that part of his game is just completely gone now. Chase Claypool can work the sideline and make adjustments deep throws that aren't perfectly thrown. so he's got a lot of value. And Deontay Johnson is outstanding underneath. Like, his ability to make moves after the catch is really, really impressive. I think that offense as a whole is, like, it should be a lot better than it is, which makes me kind of concerned about Roethlisberger. I think he's just... Like, his age is catching up to him. I think the, the thing we kind of forgotten about Rattlesburger at this point is he's 38, but for the first 10 years of his career, he was getting beaten up all the time. Like, he was taking 50 sacks a season, a bit like Deshaun in Houston. So he's kind of, physically, he kind of looks like Brady and, and Breeze, guys who are four or five years older than him, whatever it is, and even Philip Rivers. So I, I can't really put him up high at this point. I'd be thinking of him as actually a bit of a liability for them in the playoffs. They need to win with their defense, really.
0: Who are your favorites to get to the Super Bowl right now, as we sit here going into Week 14, uh, and your Super Bowl favorite pick as well? If as long as you don't you don't sell that information, we don't want you to give away uh, <laughs> some of your football analysts. But
3: I'm 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 at 45 percent picking games right now, so no one's buying my Super Bowl pick. Um, <laughs> it's it's the Chiefs, and like I wish I had something more interesting or something more exciting. But if you offered me to pick the Chiefs and pick the field, I would pick the Chiefs. Which is extremely rare for me because I'm never that confident. But the Ravens should have been, but everyone got hurt. Ronnie Stanley's gone, Nick Boyle's gone. Um, the offensive line there is a mess. Defensively, their play calling is an issue. So they're they're going to get like they're not even in the playoffs right now. That's how bad their season has gone. So they were the two best teams, them and the Chiefs. And now I just like the Patriots haven't like because Cam isn't fully healthy. Obviously, Belgic is still great, so they could win a matchup like that. But you're not going to expect them to sustain that success. The question is who's coming out of the NFC, and at the moment. Man, who who are you most confident in, really? Because there's a group there. The Saints battered the Bucs. The Bucs battered the Packers. The Packers beat the Saints. So you've got a triangle there. Any one of them could come out. The way I typically do that is I default to the best quarterback, and the best quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. But the Packers can't stop the run. So anyone can run them. So you're kind of picking between those two things. I I guess uh, I would have to probably say the Buccaneers, just because they beat the Packers so badly. But I'm not confident about it. And hey, if you're a Vikings fan, there, you can talk yourself into it now because you can say there's no clear favorite in the NFC. Maybe you get hot and you make a run like the Giants did from a wild card spot years and years ago.
0: Oh, totally. And especially this year, we have no expectations going in. We're in years past, we had these huge expectations and, and we lose and it's a heartbreak, but now we have no expectations. So we're, I'm, I'm definitely spin zoning this and we're, we're going to be super confident <laughs> heading into the playoffs for no reason at all.
3: <laughs> hey, hey, you're,
0: you're there. You may as well be comfortable. Yeah, right. What's your sleep schedule like? It's got to be. It's got to be crazy. Are you on American time with all these NFL games, or do you try to stay on Ireland time?
3: Yeah, actually, that's why this week has been really tough because you've had multiple mid like one AM games for me. So that means yeah. I'm not getting much sleep. Yeah, that's but normally, tough. yeah, you're you're living on ET basically during the season, and you kind of switch off gradually. This year has been a little bit less of a little bit slacking off, just because with the way COVID has been, like the world over here has a bit kind of shut down as well, obviously. So it's been a little less hectic over here in my kind of regular life. So it's been easier to just adjust, you know?
0: Yeah, totally.
2: Do you, um, uh, and, and we're going to kind of uh, switch into some, some quick hitters here, some on football, some on uh, just random stuff. Um, but uh, do you have a favorite NFL team?
3: Um, and uh, if so, who? Uh I do by the way, I'm not very good at talking quickly or giving short answers as (laughs) you've noticed. So good luck with that part. Um I so when I was what age would I've been? Twelve? Whatever whatever age I was, whatever year Jerome Bettis's Super Bowl was won in Detroit. That year, prior to that year, I picked the Steelers based on the logo. I knew nothing about any of the 32 teams. So I just saw the three diamonds and I said, I'll pick that, that looks kinda cool. (laughs) And I started playing with them on Madden all the time to figure out who the players were and understand, like, hey, this is what the colors of the jerseys are and stuff like that. And then they won the Super Bowl that year, and I was like, okay, I've got everything I need from this. And I didn't need to support a team anymore. So ever since then, I haven't really supported anyone, and it's just been better for analyzing and for being uh, uh, objective, I guess, in what you're doing.
0: I love it. You cheered for the bus, and then he won the Super Bowl, and you're like, hey, I'm done. I'm out. No more. I literally got off the bus. (laughs) You literally got off the bus. I love it. I love it. What do you think your most controversial take is of all time? Oh, my God. Um,
3: (laughs) I mean, like, so I guess if you want to kind of look at it in in the frame of the whole media idea, my most controversial take is that Patrick Mahomes wasn't good coming out of college. And my point there was he was the completely developmental quarterback. And to me, if I watch that tape again, I would say it's bad tape and it's a bad quarterback. He developed past that which kind of funny because Tyree Kill this week said the same thing. It was like He was terrible as a rookie. But I, I guess that would be it. Um, Carson Wentz for a long time. I got a lot of criticism for that. Le'Veon Bell, I, I hated that pick coming out of college. I, the second round pick I thought was the dumbest pick in the second round for a team that desperately needed defense. I tend not to track these things, so you could probably get a far more embarrassing answer from someone who does pay attention to it. So maybe you can think of one yourself, but I I can't off-stop my head. <laughs> Oh, wait, I said Brady was watched like 10 years before he was actually watched. <laughs> I don't know if it's, if it's been
2: controversial, but you, you brought up uh, Cliff Kingsbury earlier, and it's been uh, one of your takes that I've been kind of circulating in uh, in my uh, football discussions with people is that uh, that he's not a good coach and he's holding that team back.
3: Yeah, every, every, the NFL release, or someone put up uh, his route chart, and it's just all curl routes, and I, I don't know how many people have tagged me in that post. There's like 20 people who have sent it to me
2: uh moving on now um I, just from following you on twitter it um it appears at least like you're you're a big rugby fan um mm-hmm. which nfl player would be the best rugby player and i have i know nothing about rugby so you'll throw out a name and i'll be like oh that's that makes sense
1: <laughs>
3: uh do you know what christian way is?
2: uh no is he he's probably a
3: big guy though right <laughs> He is a, a Buffalo Bills running back on the practice squad who played rugby until he was 28 professionally oh. in England. So I'm gonna cheat and say Christian Wade. Uh, he looks—he uh, looks like he, right
0: he looks like he could run some people over. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Um, no, I—I—I of-
3: I think I would love to see Adrian Peterson on the wing. So in rugby, there was um, wingers are the guys who score all the tries on the outside. They're really fast. They're a bit like wide receivers, I guess, and they're really exciting players. But years and years and years ago, there was a guy called Joel Lomo who just, instead of being really fast and really quick, he decided to just be massive, and he just ran through all of the small wingers and just blew them up all the time. And it always reminds me of Adrian Peterson running through Willie Gay back in the day and him just being a complete and utter powerhouse. So I would put him on the wing in rugby.
0: I love it. Yeah, Adrian, that, that'd be nuts. I mean, he was, they called him the creature in Minnesota, and that's, I mean, he was outstanding watch watching. Oh yeah, show. Vikings
3: for a Minnesota. Pod. I didn't even think of that. Vikings for a Minnesota. Pod.
0: Yeah, he was like our. Yeah, he was our hero growing up. AP oh, all day. All right, what is your go-to karaoke song if you have one?
3: Oh, I can't sing. I'm terrible, but it's um all Irish folk songs. So songs by the Dubliners, uh, Black Velvet Band. That's what I'll give you. That's the one. You can all look it up. There we go. I think the last time I was trying to sing, I was in LA, and my voice did that thing where it cracks and breaks <laughs> in front of them. So the, the funny thing about it is, I've I done like um, I've done one of these shows where you're on stage talking for like 25 minutes and saying all the nice and stuff like that, and, and people are like really impressed with you, They're like yeah, he's really confident, really good at talking, and he's really presents himself well, and then they see you sing, trying to sing karaoke, and it's just like no, it's so
0: embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's alright. I can't <laughs> sing. I can't sing at all either. <laughs> Keen, if it's I give like, out. Oh, I was going to say, uh,
2: Keenan if, if I gave you the power today to fire one coach and one coach only in the NFL, who would you fire? Oh, come on.
3: You don't need to ask me that. No, <laughs> I'm going to be firing. I need Kyler to be freed. Like, <laughs> Kyler is – so in my charting last year, Russell Wilson was the best bomb passer in the league, and a bomb pass is anything over 30 yards. And Russell Wilson was the best over 30 yards, the best over 35 yards, and the best over 40 yards. 40 yards. Sorry, actually, I said that wrong. Russell Wilson was the best over 30 yards, the second best over 35 yards, and the best over 40 yards. Uh, Kyler Murray was the only quarterback who could keep pace at Russell Wilson's deep ball, and he was better than him at times in specific in specific splits. So Cliff Kingsbury has changed his offense after adding DeAndre Hopkins and with <laughs> Christian Kirk there, who is an outstanding deep threat, to all curl routes and all short routes. Get him out of here and look, And then after that, I need um, Mike McCarthy to go. Actually, I have a long list of guys I need to get rid of. So, (laughs) all these conservative offensive head coaches who are – I don't mind you being a conservative defensive head coach because you're a defensive guy. That's what you want. But being a conservative offensive coach, what's the point of you? There's no point, like, come in and be aggressive and be creative. Why come in here and run the ball up the middle and throw card all day? It doesn't make any sense. (sighs) Yeah, I'm
2: I'm, I'm the one uh, Packer fan on the show. So, the the Mike McCarthy years were – we're we're a little. rough. floor is pretty good. I think the yeah. good. Oh yeah, he's uh, he's got the
3: goods, dude. Um, I was skeptical about him too because he came in from Tennessee and his play calling in Tennessee, I wasn't impressed by and he was inexperienced and young, but he's shown up pretty well.
2: Yeah, it's been he uh, can't be complaining for if you're a Packer fan the past two years. Um, I, uh, I I brought it up a little bit in the intro, uh, jokingly, of course. I hope you don't go now and block me. But um, uh, what is your criteria for blocking someone on Twitter? Um, I do love I do love when uh um seeing you on Twitter kind of go off on people for um stupid takes coming at you personally whatever it might be and um I know that's something you get uh, uh you get a little flack for you tweeted I think it was maybe today or yesterday that there's a there's a Twitter account now called uh key and blocked me I think is what it's called yeah he actually
3: deleted he deleted that account cuz I, I, I <laughs> I explained, no, I, I, I like genuinely, I, I, he kind of tweeted me and he wasn't abusing me or anything. So I just, I responded to him and he kind of said to me, oh, I'm doing this because it's fun. Make a laugh." I kind of explained to him, like, it's not really fun. You're targeting bullying. Like, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to attack someone. And it doesn't bother me. Like, I grew up in an Irish family where, like, they say the worst possible things to you about <laughs> you straight to your face. So you, you're not going to offend me in that way. But I was explaining it to him in the sense that, like, you're doing this to me and it's funny and it doesn't impact me. But the next person you do it to, you don't know how that's going to impact them. And, like, that could be really bad. And, like, this internet bullying and internet stuff like that is a real problem. So he eventually deleted his account. I didn't tell him to do that. But he obviously kind of recognized what I was saying. Um, I don't – so years and years ago when I started being on Twitter, my criteria was I need to keep my mentions clean because I want to be able to respond to people. Because when you have – like, it, it, Twitter's great at, like, 6,000, 7,000 followers. After that, it becomes just a pest. It's a pain. So when you have 12, 13, 14, 15,000 followers and more, your mentions are just constantly going. So if you want to actually be able to talk to people, you've got to get them out of there. So I used to block people just for, like, if they were coming and sending me, like, if anything aggressive, anything, uh, insulting, anything like that. And then they introduced a mute, and muting people was great because if it was just someone who was, like, really annoying or constantly at you, like, you could just mute them and you'd have to block them, and you could still engage people properly. And then, eventually, Twitter, and I actually, have kind of stopped blocking people now because, Twitter now have filters where I can filter out all the nonsense straight away with very simply filtering people who don't follow me. So because the only people who tweet you who don't follow you, they're never tweeting you anything good. They're tweeting you <laughs> like awful stuff. So I don't see any of that. Like, like I, the other day, because Josh Allen had a good game, I, I was going through my timeline looking for a different tweet, and I saw that one of my tweets about Josh Allen had 62, 62 replies, and I hadn't seen a single one of them until I looked at the actual tweet and it said 62. I realized, oh, I'm getting ratioed, but I don't even care because it's all filtered out. So I don't really block people anymore. You have to be kind of abusive, or mostly if you're saying something horrible, like I've blocked people before who don't know why they're blocked, and the reason they're blocked is I've seen them attacking my friends or saying something awful about like a woman in the industry who I knew or something like that. So like, it's stuff like that where I just don't want to deal with people, and I don't want to be giving you energy and stuff like that, because it does detract from you if you're constantly seeing that stuff in your mentions. For sure.
0: For sure. I, and I think you have a good point about, you know, trying to, st- there's a lot of hate on Twitter and all over the internet. So I, I think you have a great message there as well. Uh, pivoting here, kind of completely away from Twitter, but who is the most famous person in your phone contacts? If you had to pick one. <laughs> you
3: know what's funny? I don't really have anyone in my phone contacts because no one has my <laughs> phone number. Because I'm in Ireland. It's true, everyone yeah. Everyone yeah. is sharing social media. But, um, like who? So
0: I well, would, they say Instagram of, DMs a, then, maybe. Sorry? Maybe we'll say Instagram DMs, then. Who's the, who's the most famous? Well, no,
3: there, there are a couple of people, but they're all industry people. That's kind of boring. Like, the most famous person I would have would be my cousin, who is actually a uh, soccer player for Ireland, who played in the Premier League over here. So that's the one I'd be the most proud of, I guess, even though he's on a celebrity contact since he's my cousin. I know him, but that's the one I'm going. Love it. Love it. Um, all right.
2: Uh, the question that everyone's been waiting for, uh, Guinness, underrated or overrated?
3: Ah, uh, okay, so here's the big issue now, and you don't realize what you're getting into trouble here, because the reality <laughs> is, so there's a very important aspect of Guinness that Americans don't understand, and it's the reason why Irish pubs are so important in America for this type of thing. So when you pour a pint of Guinness, you can't put the glass down and pour it and let it go and just let it go. If you do that, it's going to taste like tar. It's going to taste Yep. Mm-hmm. You've got to put the glass in at an angle, and you've got to make sure that there's no air coming between the, the actual head of the tap and the glass. And you pour it about three quarters of the way up. And then you let it all settle. You let it all go completely black. And then you just top off the top of it. And if you do that, you'll get a perfect pint of Guinness and you'll love it and it's beautiful. People come to Ireland and they think, oh, the Guinness here is different because it tastes better here. No, it's just people understand how to pour it here. In, in America, they throw the glass down, pour it, and then walk away and then hand it to you. And I've seen people in America drink Guinness without letting it settle, which is an amazing thing because that's like the worst possible thing to do. Like, there's an actual science here we're not just alcoholics we're we're en- enthusiastic <laughs> so, my- but if, if, if you have um the, the problem now I'm going to undercut myself here is Murphy's and Beamish are same types of drink as Guinness and they're only available in Ireland if you can get them they're better than Guinness so overrated I guess wow. <laughs> no my uh you're, you're definitely right
2: there on the on the pouring on tap my dad is a uh He's always been a huge Guinness fan. And I've, he's, I've never seen him send anything back at a restaurant before. Uh, I've only seen him send back Guinness if it hasn't been poured right. And he... Well, when I was in... Sorry, Juan. Oh, I was going to say, he, he'll he stand up and go walk over by the bar and watch the bartender pour it to make sure the bartender pours it correctly.
3: <laughs> when I was in Miami for the Super Bowl, and like this is the last time I was even anywhere because of this whole pandemic, I there was a an Irish bar there, but it wasn't really a proper Irish bar. It was an Irish American bar, and the girl behind the counter she was relatively young, so she was she was fun. She was like having the crack messing around, and I she said to me, "What drink do you want?" And I said, "Can I I'd like a Guinness, but you don't know how to pour it." And she got offended or whatever, and she said, uh, "If I can pour a better pint of Guinness than her, that's, I'd get the drink for free and I'd be allowed to pour my own drink." <laughs> so I actually went behind the counter and poured <laughs> the, the pint of Guinness for myself. And I told her to keep doing it that way for the rest of the night. And she came back to me later that night and was like, yeah, I'm more popular than I've ever been with the Guinness drinkers. So that's what I always <laughs> try to do in America.
0: I love it.
2: <laughs> spreading, uh, yeah, spreading, your, spreading your wisdom about football and, uh, and about alcohol. Uh, we'll, we'll ask you one last uh, question here before we wrap up. Um, and we'll make it an easy football one. What game are you most looking forward to this weekend?
3: <laughs> this is the toughest question you've asked me on night <laughs> wait give me one second to check the schedule I literally I, actually and this is not just a cop out I'm kind of interested in tonight's game because I look, went through the Patriots schedule and you can see I tweeted this earlier the games the Patriots have played this year have been so unpredictable it's an absolute like I don't know what type of team is going to show up they nearly beat the Bills and then they got blown up by the foreign inners backups it's ridiculous but um in terms of the weekend at Bill Steelers is an obvious one because it's such a massive uh, impact on the AFC and the setup of the AFC and who's going to be which that quarterback do for... you oh, more on? on
1: Thursday Night Football?
0: Oh, <laughs> my bad, there, guys. Is that me or is that <laughs> you? No, that was me. A video just popped up. My bad. <laughs> Continue on. <laughs> I'm completely lost, though. I think we should focus on
3: that. What the hell has just happened?
0: Uh, I was looking at <laughs> the games for the week, and then a CBS Sports video just popped up and started playing. And I was like, oh, to so get out You of
3: could right. have got caught looking at worse. So yeah, oh, totally. Much.
0: Yeah, totally. I was trying right. to get the game schedule for this week. But, yeah, there is a lot of good ones this week. What do you think Vikings bucks? You t- I'm, I mean, obviously, I think you're going to be on the bucks with the rest of the national media. But do the Vikings have a chance in that one, uh, you yeah, think?
3: Yeah, I, I, I'm less – so I'm less – so I, I'm less sold on the box. and I know I said they're one of the teams that can go to the NFC, but like you haven't seen Brady look particularly good, and you've seen that wide receiver group doesn't really suit him, which is why I think Antonio Brown's going to be a massive focus. So I think this game is its probably going to be decided by two matchups, and it's going to be the box defensive line working against that offensive line, trying to contain Dalvin Cook, obviously. Uh, but then the opposite of that, the, on the other side of that, it's do any of the Vikings' corners or are any of the Vikings' cornerbacks capable of sticking with Antonio Brown? Because I think his work road is going to go through the roof because Brady clearly doesn't uh, connect with Mike Evans, and Mike Evans is actually hurt. He's not been particularly comfortable with Chris Godwin either, he knows been better than he has been with Evans. The tight ends there aren't. like Without OJ Howard, there's a lack of athleticism in the tight end, so it's got to go outside. So I think if you can contain Antonio Brown enough, you could probably win a little bit of a shootout, but you will need Cousins to be the good version of Cousins where Thielen and Jefferson are getting... Eight, nine, ten accurate passes their way, so they can actually show out and put up huge numbers. Like I think they they both have hundred yards last week. Yep. They're like when you give them enough service, they can take over any game. So like the possibility is there. I don't think the Buccaneers are this behemoth of a team. I think the Vikings could play well against them, and they should be able to move the ball and score points. It's just that defense is that defense going to hold up?
0: Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of it is on the offensive line. Can they run block? I mean, they've shown some weeks they're really good run run blockers, and then they can open it up downfield. But some weeks they just can't run block. And If we can't run the ball, then we're not gonna be able to throw it over the top either. Uh, But yeah, I think. By the way, I've just
3: I've just noticed I haven't used Zoom for a few months, and the last time we used it was a a family quiz thing. And I have a picture of my cousin looking really weird. That's not me. I don't look like that. (laughs) Uh, It's all good. I kind of like it. It 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 brings the Irish vibe. I'm I'm a different person.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good thing this uh this is an audio only uh, medium. Um, but I guess that, uh, uh, brings us, uh, it's about all the time we have today. We got, a, uh, as Kian said, a, a great Patriots Rams game that will be done by the time you all are listening to this episode. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, you can find Kian's, uh, Kian's stuff at QB Uh, follow his Twitter at QB mine. Uh, you can also subscribe to his Patreon like I do Is a Patreon? Pa- I, I don't even know how to say it.
3: I'm so it'll be like Pat. Johnson, so there's no point asking me. But it's slash Kianaf, C I A N A F. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, slash Kianaf uh, for as little as two
2: two dollars a month to get access to all of his articles. He covers all 32 NFL teams, and as we've heard for the past hour or so, he's got he's got a pretty good uh good football mind and, uh, and a football memory, being able to pick apart uh, plays from 10, 15, 20 years ago. So uh, Kian, thanks uh, thanks again for your time today, and uh, maybe talk to you soon.
3: Thanks, guys.
0: And again, a special thanks to Kean for coming on the show. Very special guest, and he's got a great football mind. I mean, he can remember plays like Andy was saying all the way back 20 years ago. I mean, it's an impressive football mind for sure. Let's wrap through here the Week 14 picks quickly, uh, and then we'll get out of here. First game of the week is Vikings at Bucks. We talked about this one already. Big game for your Minnesota Vikings. Bucks six and a half point favorites. Zach and I are taking the uh, the Vikings this week. BG and Andy are taking the Bucks in that one. Our second game is Chiefs at the Dolphins. Chiefs seven point favorites in that one. Everyone but Zach is on the Chiefs train here. Zach calling the big upset here with the Dolphins. Third game of the week: Steelers at the Bills. Bills two and a half point favorites in that one. I'm riding with the Bills. So is BG. Uh, Zach and Andy are with the Steelers, and that one, Steelers, coming off a tough loss, looking to rebound uh, to get to 12-1. and Fourth game is the upset pick. I have your Giants. You can look on Instagram for the other upset picks there. I don't have those in front of me, uh, but they're on the Instagram graphic. And our fifth game of the week is Colts minus three at the Raiders. I have the Colts. BG's got the Raiders. Zach and Andy. Both have the colt. So that'll do it for this week. We'll recap all of those games on Monday. See you then.
1: What day is it? And in what hunt this clock never seems so alive? I can't keep up, and I can't back down. I've been losing. So much time Cause it's you and me And all the people With nothing to do Nothing to lose And it's you and me And all the people And I don't know why I can't keep my eyes off of you Say, just aren't coming out right. I'm tripping on words. You got my head spinning. I don't know where to go from here. Cause it's you and me. And I love the people with nothing to do, nothing to prove. And it's you and me. I love the people and I don't know why I can't keep my eyes off of you Something about you now I can't quite figure out Everything she does is beautiful Everything she does is right You and me, and I love the people with nothing to do, nothing to lose, and it's you and me, and I love the people, and I don't know why I can't keep my eyes off of you and me, and I love the people with nothing to do nothing to prove and it's you and me and all other people and i don't know why i can't keep my eyes off of you what day is it and in what my heart this clock never seemed so alive